Thank you for downloading the Two Cities Church podcast, where we are pushing back darkness by spreading the good news of King Jesus. And now, here is this week's message from Pastor Jeff Struker. Thanks, Pastor Troy. You can grab a seat. He was talking about me personally when he said, and we're getting weaker. There's an old Nordic myth. I don't know if this really happened, but this has been uh, discussed for many years. You know, way up north um, in those Nordic countries where the winter lasts for about seven months and it's bitter cold, back in the day before electricity, everybody heated their homes with wood. Well, there was a boy that grew up back in those days that was just bigger than the average kid. Mom fed him raw eggs when, uh, for breakfast. They gave him chicken meat for the afternoons. And when he was a teenager and when he became a young man, this was just a mountain of a man. You guys know Gaston from Beauty and the Beast, right? This is the kind of dude that I'm talking about. Well, he got married, has a family. And of course, he gets strong growing up because he's out working in the fields with dad. He's chopping wood in the wintertime, and he is an imposing human being. And of course, he's heating his home and keeping his family safe in the wintertime by physical efforts by chopping wood. Right across the street from him is another guy. Grew up at about the same time, just an average looking guy like me or you. And people started to notice that the average guy is married, has a family, Gaston, or whatever we want to call this strapping man, is uh, married and has a family. And at the end of the winter, the guy across the street always has the same amount or more wood in the wood pile than the huge guy across the street. Nobody can understand how this is possible. So one day they start to ask this really big dude about it. And of course he challenges his neighbor to a competition. To chop wood and to see which of the two can chop the most firewood in an hour. Now, the entire town turns out for this competition because everybody knows nobody has the kind of strength, nobody has the kind of muscles as this freakishly large human being that lives across the street. And the little scrawny guy is going to go out and they're going to compete against one another and chop as much wood as they can in front of the entire community. So the day comes, and the hour shows up, and the wood has all been prepared, and they're across the opposite sides of the street, and the whole town is watching as this giant man starts to hammer away and splitting boards like it's nothing. And I mean, going to town without slowing down, he is wearing out that wood, and the pile is getting larger and larger. Meanwhile, the little skinny guy across the street is working hard as he can, but his pile just can't keep up. And then, about 15 minutes in, the little skinny guy across the street stops what he's doing, and he walks away, and he goes back behind the house, and he spends five precious minutes back behind the house, comes back, and starts chopping wood again. And by now, this huge mountain of a man has a much larger pile. 15 minutes later... The little skinny guy goes around the house, takes a break, goes around the house, spends five minutes back behind the house, and comes back. 
By 30 or 45 minutes in, pretty soon the little skinny man's pile is starting to grow. And the big guy's pile is starting to slow down. 15 more minutes in, and he goes back around the house one more time, spends five minutes in the back of the house, and then comes back and continues to chop wood. And now everybody in town can see something mind-blowing. The skinny guy's pile keeps getting bigger and bigger. The big guy's pile is barely adding more wood. And by the time it's all over with and an hour is done and the crowd is standing there, there's actually more wood at the skinny man's house than the big guy's house. Now, the Nordic fairy tale goes this way. Do you know the difference between these two guys? Because nobody in town can swing an axe harder, can move more muscle than the big man across the street. How is it possible that the little skinny guy was able to chop more wood in an hour than the big man? Everybody wants to know what happened when he went behind the house for five minutes and then came back Everybody wants to know, how did this happen? Anybody want to take a guess what happened in those five minutes? That's right. The little skinny man did what the big muscle guy never learned to do. Every 15 minutes, he went behind the house, took a stone and sharpened that axe, and then came back out and went back to work. And the five minutes of sharpening the axe, every 15 more 15 minutes, created more firewood than the man wearing himself out and working as hard as he can with a dull axe. Today, you're going to learn the value of stopping for a few minutes to sharpen the axe. It's Super Bowl Sunday. We don't have such a thing as a national sports holiday in the United States, but if we did, today would be the version of a national sports holiday. And today, what we're going to do is tackle one of the most challenging subjects, one of the most distorted and probably one of the most abused topics of the entire Bible. Like how I use that word tackle there? I worked that one in for you on purpose. We're going to tackle the subject of the Sabbath or the seventh day of creation. And in our day, if you've been working a hard day's night and you've been wearing yourself down uh, working like a dog um, has been working all day long, I don't even remember how that Beatles song goes, but if you've been working a hard day's night, by the end of the work week, you're thinking to yourself, T-G-I-F. Well, in Jesus's day, They would have said T-G-I-S, and the S here stands for Saturday, of course. They would have said, thank God it's Saturday, because in Jesus' day, when you're a farmer or you're taking care of sheep, you never get a day off. You always take care of the field until the Saturday, the Sabbath, the Lord's Day rolls around. And religious leaders... And denominations have taken the three verses that we're going to look at today and done incredible damage, great harm to God's people with these three days. In fact, I really believe this is one of the beautiful, precious gifts of God. And pastors and priests, even in Jesus's day, have taken these three verses and beat people up with them. 
And so what I really want to do today is to just set you free from a lot of bad theology and, frankly, some abusive preaching and teaching on this subject. I want to show you how this day is different than the rest. So we started in the Bible just a few weeks ago, studying through the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. And what we learned is God created everything. We say that he created everything in six days. I believe it is six literal 24-hour periods. And now we're into Genesis chapter 2, and we're reading about the seventh day. And you don't even have to understand the Bible to recognize Everything about this day is different. Nothing seems the same. So if you've got a Bible in front of you, a paper Bible, you can flip open to Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 1. If you don't have a paper Bible, all good. We've got the notes for you and the scriptures right there in our mobile app. Here's what the Bible says, Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 1. So the heavens and the earth and everything in them were created. On the seventh day, God had completed his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. Apparently, since the word created or completed is on here twice, that's a pretty big deal for the Bible. So why don't you say the word completed out loud? So... In six days of creation, you have the heavens and the earth, the mountains, the rivers, the birds, the fish, and the pinnacle of creation that Pastor Troy talked about last week, the creation of Adam and Eve, the creation of the people that will have the free will to worship God. And then the Bible does something weird. Doesn't it seem odd to you that we just started a new chapter when we're on day seven right now? If you understand how the Bible was written, when a guy by the name of Moses wrote these these words a long time ago, he didn't have chapters. He didn't include verse numbers in there. All of that stuff came later. In fact, he really didn't even include vowels or punctuation. Some really smart guys, I don't know who these guys are, they put the chapters and the verses in there later so that you could find a specific sentence in your Bible, because if not, you'd spend a week looking for it. And I think they did this on purpose. They created a new chapter on the seventh day. And really what those smart guys are trying to say many centuries after this was written is you have six days of creation where God is doing some work and then you have another day. And this day is so different. We're going to take a new chapter with this one. This is how significant the seventh day of creation is. So day seven, God rests from all the work that he's done. Now, I don't want you to feel like the word rest means that he's no longer doing anything. The Bible is basically saying all of the material of the universe has been made at this point. And by the way, there's still creation happening because we were made in the image of God. We have the ability to create. We have artists that can use paint or marble and create sculptures or masterpieces. They could use wood or they can use words or they can use music to create great pieces of art that last for generations. But all of us start creation with pre-existing material. In this case, the material of creation has already been done. Now everything that has been made is made. And God's going to take a break. 
But the Bible doesn't call this the end of creation. When it uses the word completed, it's not really saying God doesn't do anything else from this point on. It's actually calling this the climax, the apex, the top of the seven days. This day is very different, and you don't even have to understand the Bible. By the time you get to Genesis chapter 2, there's some stuff missing here. Because at the end of all six days of creation, there's evening, there's morning, and then there's the next day. But not on day seven. At the end of the six days of creation, God calls the plants good, and the mountains good, and the animals good, and the, li the lights in the sky good. But he doesn't use that language at this day. In fact, in three verses, check this out, y'all. The words this day is mentioned five times in three verses, and the Bible will not let you miss the fact this day is different than the other six. Why is it different? What's different about this day? And what the Bible is telling us is that God is done with creation, and now he's resting on the seventh day. Now, we, we got to figure out what exactly does that mean. But when scholars go back and look at this, they say it's not an accident that the Bible doesn't use there's evening, there's morning, and then day eight happens. In fact, really what they're thinking is that this is the plan for God to just rest from all of the work that he's done over the last six, week, or six days, and he's going to keep resting all the way until eternity. Of course, in Genesis chapter 3, spoiler alert, God, uh, Adam and Eve mess up that plan, and now God's going to have to roll up his sleeves, and God is going to have to be very intimately involved with creation for the rest of humanity. It's actually not until the end of the Bible that you see God fixing what man messed up and God able to rest with the people that he created on this planet for all of eternity. But the plan in Genesis chapter 2 is this rest starts on day 6, and for God it just keeps on going. And you probably should be asking yourself right now, does that mean that God doesn't care about what's happening on earth? Does that mean that God doesn't know what's going on in my life? Is God just sitting in a lawn chair with a sweet tea in his hands, kicked back, looking at all that he's made and saying, man, this is beautiful and I'm good. You guys are supposed to rule and have dominion over the heavens and the earth. Now you guys fix the mess that you made. Is that what the Bible is saying? No, you really need to understand the word rest. Because if you're, not, if you're like me, you would have to ask yourself, why did God need to rest in the first place? Is this like a mental health day? Okay, God, you were really stressed out for those six days when you were making all of this stuff because it took a lot of energy for you to make mountains and animals and people. Is this a me day so that you can just chill? Is this a day because I've been working really hard for six days. I need to go to the golf course and I need to blow off some stream, steam. And I just made a beautiful golf course. So I'm going to get my clubs and the, the shoes. I don't know what golfers use, but I'm going to get my stuff and I'm going to go play golf. Is that what the Bible is saying here? Now, actually, Moses, the guy who writes this passage, uses a very weird word here. Typically, the word for rest that would normally show up in the Bible, the common word for rest, 
is not what Moses says here. He actually is saying on day six, God literally decided he's not going to work today. It's an unusual word. It's very rare in the Bible. It's actually very rare in this kind of literature. And Moses uses a very rare and a very specific word to remind us about why God is resting. It's not that he's tired and his muscles are sore. It's that he chooses not to rest today. And of course, at this point, you should be asking, well, why did God do that? Because really what the Bible is describing for us is you have six days and then you have one day. And this one day is not at all like the other six. This day is very different. And I'm convinced God is setting an example for his creatures, specifically for you and me. Let me give you two examples of this. Anybody have a garden or you work out in the yard in the hot summer months and you go out there and you put your back-breaking effort into pulling weeds, into tending the ground, into mowing the grass and into trimming, and you really have a yard or a garden that is bountiful or it's beautiful. Anybody do that around here? All right, so if you've been out working in the garden all day long, you're out there sweating, and at the end of the day, your skin is sticky because of the sweat, and you've got dust on you because you've been in the dirt all day long, and at the end of the day, when you come back in from the garden, perhaps the first thing you do is what? Besides get a cold drink of water, the first thing you're going to do is take a shower because I got to wash all of that junk off of me that I just got done um, messing with. If you work in the yard in the summer months, you're sweaty, you're sticky, you're icky from the dust and the dirt, and you got to wash that stuff off. That's your way of pausing to take a break. And really what the Bible is saying is God's been working in the dirt literally We're going to learn that he was digging in the dirt with his hands when he fashioned that first human being, and now he's going to take a break, and he's going to wash some of that stuff off, and he deliberately chooses not to work. When a long time ago, when I was competing in the best ranger competition, I was working as hard, no exaggeration, as a human being can, and getting myself ready for the one of the world's toughest endurance competitions. And the harder that I worked, the less I was getting stronger, the less faster that I was becoming. And then I came across a news article. It was actually kind of a journal uh, article about elite level athletes. And here's what it said, second example. It said the greatest athletes on the planet don't compete at the elite levels because of how strong they are or how fast they are. It's actually not how hard they push their muscles when they're working out, because at the elite level, everybody pushes their muscles to the extreme. The greatest athletes on the planet planet get stronger when they rest. And it's actually the faster that you can rest and recover from a hard workout so that you can go back to the next hard workout faster that separates the gold medal winners from the bronze medal or don't medal at all in the Olympics. It's actually the period of rest that separates the two, not how hard they work out. I was pushing my body to the limits, and that's when it dawned on me. The heart is a muscle. 
And if I run hard every day, all day long, if I road march hard every day, all day long, if I push this muscle to the extreme every day, all day long, and don't give this muscle a break, I actually don't get better or stronger in the long run. I actually get weaker because this muscle never has a chance to recover. And I hope by now you're thinking about your heart. See, I think what God is saying is, listen, this world is messy. It's actually icky. And you live right in the middle of it, and there's no way you can go through life without getting some of that junk on you. So there's one day a week when I need you to come away and take a break. There's one day a week when I need you to wash some of that junk off of you, and I will wash it off of you for you if you will let me. But there's one day a week where I need you to just come away from the messy world that we live in and rest this heart of yours. And I'll give you the rest if you'll let me. But if not, you can keep putting your nose to the grindstone and working yourself as hard as you can. And the harder that you work, the less strong or fast you're going to become if you don't take a break and sharpen the axe if you don't take a break and give the heart a rest this day is very different from the other six days of creation because here's why this day is actually supposed to be devoted to god it's a dedicated day of the week. The other six days, you can be in the fields working yourself hard all day long. And at the end of the season, hopefully you bring in a huge crop. Or if you're in the military or if you're in an office job, you're working hard all week long, one day a week, at least one day a week. You come apart or you come set aside and you set this day dedicated to the Lord. That's actually exactly what Genesis chapter 2 verse 3 says. It says, God blessed the seventh day and he declared it holy. Would you say that word holy out loud? He declared this day holy for on it, on the seventh day, he rested from all his work of creation. That word seventh in the Bible is actually the Hebrew word that Sabbath comes from. When the Bible uses the word Sabbath, it's actually saying seventh. And in the Jewish calendar, the Sabbath day is at the end of the week. It starts at sundown, evening, morning. That's how the clock works in Genesis chapter 1. It's the last day of the week. The Sabbath is Saturday. And Saturday starts when the sun goes down on Friday night. And it keeps going until the sun goes down on Saturday. And that day is supposed to be holy. That day is supposed to be dedicated to God. And if you're asking, what do you mean by holy? I wanted to help you today. You see, there has been some really bad theology. There's been some really abusive teaching and preaching on this day for many centuries. We use this phrase so that everybody recognizes legalism is rules that belong to a dead religion. And legalism and a bunch of religious rules cannot get you into heaven. In fact, we believe that those religious rules can actually get in your way. 
and keep you out of heaven because you end up thinking, I'm a pretty good boy. I'm a good girl. I've been following the rules exactly like I'm supposed to. And maybe God is going to let me into heaven because of all of the good that I've done, all of the rules that I observed. Almost every religion on the planet, unfortunately, those that have abused Christianity and turned it into a dead religion, have used rules to control congregations. And we say, y'all, Jesus came to set you free from those rules. Now listen, y'all. When in public, nothing made Jesus angry more often than the Sabbath. When he criticized the religious leaders, there was a lot of things that he criticized them about, but this one regularly came up. This one showed up more often than any of the rest of them. Those religious leaders said, hey, when God delivered the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, commandment number four says you are supposed to observe the Sabbath and keep it holy. And then Jesus says, you guys have turned this freedom that God gave you into religious rules and you're controlling people with it. There are still preachers today. That will tell you, you got to put on a suit and tie and you better wear a Bible. You better bring a Bible in a big leather case and you're supposed to act this way and you're supposed to talk this way because it's a special day. This day is a holy day and here's how you're supposed to act. Here's how you're supposed to talk. I want to set you free. Listen, the Sabbath doesn't mean you can't watch a football game tonight. The Sabbath doesn't mean that you have to talk this way, act this way, dress this way. There are plenty of denominations out there that are what I call Sabbatarian. And they're basically doing today what Jesus described 2,000 years ago. He said, you priests, you pastors, you got it all wrong. God didn't create the Sabbath for man. God, or God didn't create man for the Sabbath. He didn't make the Sabbath to put a bunch of rules on people. God created the Sabbath for man to give you rest and to allow you to come off to, or come aside and to be with him and to enjoy him. And you've turned this beautiful gift of God into a bunch of religious rules. And in doing so, you have done damage to this gift that God has given people. Did you know that even before God delivered the Ten Commandments, the written law on the mountain of Sinai, the people of Israel were already observing the Sabbath. They were slaves in Egypt. And when God delivered them and when he rescued them and as they were walking through the desert, he said, y'all have been walking for seven days. And I know you're tired. So why don't you sit down? Y'all have been walking for six days. Why don't you sit down on this seventh day? Why don't you take a rest? You don't even have to go out into the fields and gather any food off of the ground. You don't have to collect up any manna because I'm going to feed you on the seventh day. You don't have to walk anywhere on the seventh day. And for the first time in, those, in Israel's life, the nation of Israel, those slaves in Egypt, got a day where they didn't have to do anything, a day where they can just enjoy the presence of God. See, this word holy is a very big deal. It's the first time that that word shows up in the Bible. And the word holy is used two different ways in the Bible. 
That word might mean pure. It's spotless. It's without sin and without blemish. That's one way that this word can be used. But the other way that the word holy can be used is this is different. It's set apart. It's dedicated to God. And because it's dedicated to God, it's not like the other stuff. Israel was making instruments to worship God in the tabernacle in the wilderness. And they made some meat tongs. Now, every tent had meat tongs, but these meat tongs were different. These meat tongs were holy. These meat tongs were not pure and spotless. These meat tongs were dedicated to God, and therefore, you don't use them in your kitchen. We use them in the tabernacle because these meat tongs are different. And God is saying, this day is not like the other six. This day is supposed to be different because this day is holy. This day is dedicated to me. And if you're saying, well, Jeff, does that mean that I just go to church and pray all day long? Can I actually do something on this day? Can I go across the street and help out my neighbor on the Sabbath? Or do I just just sit at the house and read the Bible and pray? Can I go try to make a difference with great evil in our society on this day? Or do I just have to sit around, go to church all day long? Because plenty of churches will keep you busy from 9 a.m. until 9 p.m. on the seventh day, on on Sunday. Or can I actually go spend my time and my energy doing something good and different? Jesus' disciples were asking the same question. They were walking through the fields And they were hungry, and the fields were ripe. And in their day, it was against the rules to even pick some grain and put it in your mouth because that would be considered work. So they asked Jesus, and he's like, if y'all are hungry and there's some grain there, go right ahead, knock yourself out. Go ahead and put some grain in your mouth and eat some grain because this day is supposed to be for you. It's not supposed to be a bunch of religious rules. Now, I want you guys to take a guess at this number. Two rabbis went back and looked at all of the Jewish rules in history. And they looked at all of the rules that relate to what you can and can't do on the Sabbath, on the seventh day. And they came up with a number of how many rules the religious, uh, how many religious rules the Jews had to observe. Rabbis Johanan and Simeon ben Lachish counted them up in all of the rule books. Anybody want to take a number at how many rules just for the fourth commandment, just on observing the Sabbath and keeping it holy? How many do you think? 1,521 rules for this day. You can do this, but not that. You can do that, but you better not do this. And if you break any of those rules, you're in trouble with the religious leaders. 1,521 rules on this one day alone. Maybe that's why Jesus went on the offensive on this one over and over and over again. Because when he said, keep it holy, it wasn't supposed to be a burden. It was actually supposed to be a blessing. It was supposed to be a day that was both pure. If you're wondering which this word holy refers to, both pure and set apart for God. 
which means if you want to get up early and go to the lake and put a fishing line in the water, knock yourself out. If you want to go to the golf course in the afternoon, knock yourself out. If you want to watch a ball game, if you want to get in a tree stand, go right ahead and knock yourself out. Just make sure that God is the center of your focus. Jesus is the center of your attention. Don't be those morons that say, I can worship Jesus anywhere. And then you go there and you don't think about him at all while you're there. But if you want to do something that you just get apart from the pressures and the stresses of life and spend some time with Jesus on a Sunday afternoon, knock yourself out. There's an entire denomination in North America, actually kind of around the world, called Seventh-day Adventists. And I really understand where these guys are coming from. I'm highly sympathetic to these guys. Seventh-day Adventists basically say, listen, I'm reading Genesis chapter 2. And it says it's supposed to be on the seventh day. That's Saturday. We should go to church on the seventh day. I say, hey, if, if that's where you guys are going, uh, starting from, I'm, I'm totally cool with that. But don't put that junk on me. Because by the time you get to the New Testament, especially by the time you get to the book of Revelations, there is no longer a Sabbath day. Now we call it the Lord's Day. We celebrate Jesus on the anniversary, the one day of the week that he came back out of the grave alive. We celebrate him on Sunday. And oh, by the way, if you're going to be really dogmatic, the Seventh-day Adventist, then you better have church service as soon as the sun goes down on Friday night. Don't talk to me about Saturday morning. If you're going to do this, then do it right. I'm just simply saying, even to this day, we can get these rules mixed up and backwards. I have the privilege, this podcast that I do, of talking to some pretty amazing people. One of my favorite people in the world is a celebrity chef who opened his own restaurant. Episode 35, I interviewed a guy by the name of Christopher Prieto. Christopher came to faith in Christ later on in life while he was working in a restaurant, and there was a guy there that was uncommonly happy. Christopher had all... Jeff, I'd like to talk to two different people. Sure. If we could. Uh, the first is people who don't know Christ. Know that when you dine at his restaurant, your name is always on the reservation mm-hmm. list. It will be there waiting for you. Every single bite of that meal will be the deepest, richest, most fulfilling experience of your life. And you will never forget it. My favorite part of that meal and dining at that restaurant is when the bill comes and it says paid in full. Uh Your job is to get up and go enjoy being full. My favorite part about that experience of eating in the restaurant is the next day when you're still full and you can get up and just go another day and another day. Know that Christ fills you and sustains you unlike everything else of this world that temporarily satisfies you. Always remember that. 
to the people who do know Christ. Just pause it right there for a second. Thank you. What Christopher's life, uh, his story goes like this. I had celebrity fame. I had drugs. I had a following. I had women that were willing to take their clothes off. I had money. I had all of it. And I was miserable. And there's a guy who is just mopping floors and he's happy mopping floors. And it's obvious that he has something that I don't have. I tried it all and it left me hungry and longing for more. And at the end of this episode, he said, Jesus came to fill you up in ways that all of that fame and money and celebrity status and drugs and relationships can't fill you up. Jesus alone can fill you up. And when you come to Jesus on that dedicated day, you not only walk away full that day, but you stay full the rest of the week. And he invites you to come back and get filled up again and again and again. And the check has been paid in full for you. It's actually paid in full the exact language that Jesus uses when he's on the cross. And he says, it is finished. Jeff's bill has been paid for. But Christopher wants to remind every Christian about the responsibilities of being a child of God and what God has planned for his people. Can you show the rest of the clip now? And follow him and call him Lord of their life. Your vocation will always be your ministry. Mm -hmm. No matter what you are or what you do or what circumstances you're in, Christ always gives you the platform, the opportunity, and most importantly, the Holy Spirit to speak into people's lives. No matter what you do every single day, trying to drive profits or trying to build something, remember his kingdom is the one thing that can be filled right. when you leave this world. The money you fill temporarily here, you can't take with you, but those people's souls you can. Right. Focus on that each and every day at your vocation. If you have problems doing it, there are people in your church who are qualified to help you create a strategic value in your vocation to build his kingdom up. He basically, Jeff, I'd like to talk to two different people. Thank you. He started the second group of people by saying, God gives you work as a way of honoring him. And he offers you the opportunity to take what you do Monday through Saturday and use it to bring him glory and then come, come apart, be holy, be separate on Sunday and use that one day to get filled back up and then go back into the marketplace, back into the military, wherever he's put you and go back and make a difference Monday through Saturday. And basically what Christopher said during this episode is don't waste work, use it for God's glory. And if you'll do that, the dividends are paid off in heaven. And really what I wanted you to hear today is God didn't come and create a seventh day and set this day apart to put a bunch of rules over your head. Don't let denominations or pastors beat you up about this day. If you're a Christian, I want you to be able to say with this first bullet on the screens, I will rest in God's goodness this week. I will enjoy Jesus and I will let him fill me up this week instead of wearing myself down seven days a week, 24 hours a day without a break. Just find one day where you're going to focus your soul on King Jesus. But maybe for somebody who came in today, you need him to do this miracle in your life. 
Second uh, Corinthians says it this way: Those that are in Christ are new creation. Literally, God created Adam and Eve, and then sin broke that creation so bad in your life, in my life, that being good can't fix it. So God's going to have to do a miracle and now make a new creation, a new creature. And he does that through faith in Jesus Christ. We hope you enjoyed this message. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and to stay in touch by joining our email list through the link in the show notes. Have a great week.